Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Hey, what's up, guys? Joe McCall, the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. So you are listening right now, maybe in the podcasting world from your smartphone or you're watching me on YouTube. Hi, how you doing? Been doing this podcast for almost 12 years now, which is crazy, 12 years. And I'm not the longest running real estate investing podcast, but my goal is to be, and I will be someday. I might be in my 90s and I'll still be doing this podcast and then I can finally claim to be the longest running real estate podcast. We'll see, right? But I've been doing this for a long time. I love, love talking about real estate. I love talking about marketing and systems and the things that are working for me and my business, sharing you, sharing with you things that you could maybe even use in your own business as well. We've been doing this podcast a long time. You look at the stats, it blows me away. We've had listeners since I started this podcast. We've had listeners in over 170 different countries, and there's only like 180. So I've had listeners in almost every single country download and listen to this podcast. We've had over, we have over 12 million downloads of this podcast since we started. So it's really fun. I'm really glad to be here, and I appreciate you all listening. I really do. So if you're watching this on YouTube, please subscribe to the channel. Give us a thumbs up. If you're listening on the podcast right now on the audio, um, depending on where you are, give us a review. Give us a, give us a rating. Let us know what you think. Really appreciate it. All right. So this is going to be part two of my podcast with Travis King. I interviewed him the other day and uh, we, had to, we had some technical issues. We split the podcast together. Um, but today I'm going to be diving into more detail about land investing and some of the tools and resources and systems that Travis uses. He's been doing this for a long, long time. And so we're going to be talking into that. Uh, but first, this podcast is brought to you by My Land Contract. Okay, so I'm going to give you for free, if you're interested in learning how to do land investing, and you want to see maybe the one-page contract that I use, if you go to simplelandcontract.com, it's free. Completely free, no strings attached, simplelandcontract.com. Go there. After you give me your name and email address where I can send the contract to, there'll be the next page, a little invitation to watch a class where I'm going to teach you how to use that contract and go check it out. Really, um, that's about it. All right, go to uh, simplelandcontract.com. Should we bring Travis on? Travis King, how are you, my man? Hey, Joe. Hey, man. I just want to speak to um, your podcast and the number of episodes and the reach you have. Um, I was thinking about this the other day, like the ripple effect, right? That mm. you might not even be aware of, you know? Yeah. So uh, you play a part in my origin story, you know, going back, and this is something I know I even shared with you, going back eight or 10 years, or so, yeah. you know, um, kind of when I was finding my asset class, I guess, right? And we'll, we'll call it that really, it was the shiny object, right? But when I was all over the place, you know, um, <laughs> yeah. and these options were on the radar, um, I, I became aware of you, right? And I followed some of your stuff. And was as I was commuting and driving, and, and actually the, although the, I didn't end up going down that lease option route, like you sharing your, some of your story about like, taking kids on a, a long RV trip with the family or, or being yeah. able to take kids overseas for, you know, a month or two or a summer. Right. Uh, it was really, you know, really inspiring at the time to a guy who was commuting and wow. going to a, a nine to five. Right. So that's something I know I haven't shared with you, but I know a lot of people like watching YouTube or listening to the podcast that sometimes it feels like there's like this grand Canyon of a gap between where somebody like you are, Joe, or where I am and where they are right now. 
But I mean, it, I'm a fantastic example. Go back. Wow. Um, 10 years, right? And uh, just a guy listening to podcasts, commuting to work, right? So absolutely, you're, uh, man, kudos to you for showing up every day. That's a lot of episodes, but just continuing to show up and put in the reps. Um, can't even imagine the the reach you've got or the effect you've had on people that, that haven't reached out to let you know, you know. I so appreciate awesome. it. Appreciate it very much. And every time I talk about my goal is to be the longest running podcast, I'm worried that the two or three guys that have longer running podcasts than me yeah. are hearing me say that and it's firing them up to be like, man, I'm not quitting. So yeah. that's <laughs> yeah. why maybe I should stop talking about that. Anyway, no, that speaks to resilience, man. Endurance and resilience. That's half the battle right there. <laughs> well, here's the cool thing about getting to do this is like, I'm inspiring people and other people are inspiring me. Like you've inspired me, Travis, with your land investing. I mean, you've done a ton of deals. You're very, very smart and technical and you've set up really good systems. I've heard only good things about you from your students. And um, when I reached out and said, hey, man, can I have you on my podcast? You've been very gracious and said, yeah, sure, let's talk. Um, so thanks for being here. Appreciate it. Absolutely. I we, look forward to, to diving I'm, in and sharing some nuggets with everybody. On part one, we kind of talked about how you got started in the real estate and what the things that you're doing. And I'd like to ask you some questions about, you know, kind of the techie specific systems and stuff that you use um, in your own land investing business. You've been doing this a long time and you've seen what's work and what doesn't work and things like that. Um, so the question that a lot of people want to know is how to pick a good market. Um, so how many markets are you in right now and, and how do you pick a new market? Let me look. Um, I, I can tell you that exact um, that exact number because I JV with so many, you know, my students on deals. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm in 21 states and 78 counties as of today. So, bam, um, nice, <laughs> right? But when somebody's new, I highly recommend two states or less. That's the short answer. Let's say two, two states, states or less. Two states or less, uh, maybe three counties in each state, right? So nice. I really think like that six or less counties. Um, uh, picking some larger counties from like a, a parcel count or land, you know, parcel perspective, okay. and maybe you, perhaps even adjoining counties, right? And that you can use the same um, agents, title companies, you know, uh, just kind of economies of scale of picking the um, picking adjoining counties or nearby counties, right? But I'm really kind of a fan of like two states and then maybe like three ish counties when you're just getting started, yeah, um, because it, it's a uh, we know like real estate's local, right? It's a local game. Mm -hmm. So the more you can know your market, um, I, I still work some of the same counties, Joe, that I sent my first campaign to like, you know, Isn't nine years ago. So that just speaks to when people think it's saturated or worried about running a, a market or, or fishing the whole dry, like, um, you know, there's a wide range of values within a market, the county, yeah. right? You're playing in the under $10,000 or you're playing at the $300,000 level. So as soon as you open that up, it, it um, it would allow you to work a county longer, right? So mm -hmm. I think that's when somebody's getting started, I, I say, hey, don't, you know, don't go uh, like a mile wide, you know, inch deep. I really say like hone in on uh, two states and then three counties in those states. That's good. Um, I prefer, you know, um, states where there's job growth, where people are moving, where there's a demand. And I don't care if you're in rural vacant land or you're flipping residential buildable lots. You want to be where people are moving to, where it's growing, Right. Um, yeah. That, that's some of the, the stuff that drives me. And I'm a, um, another picking a market. Uh, you know, um, I like predictability. You know what I mean? I, especially on the revenue side. So like uh, days on market and sunny states is more consistent throughout the year. 
So I'm from Montana, right? I can tell you days on market in July is a lot different than days on market in <laughs> December or January with the snow, right? Nobody's buying houses and moving and right. Are people December. buying vacant land in Minnesota and Montana? Um, not, like I, would, I would say like days on market wise, I, I wouldn't, the, the trouble is when you pick cold weather states is you have a season, right? You have a season to buy and sell land, right? Like April to September is the key. Okay. You know, for the rest yeah. of the year, you can't do things like perk tests. You can't do, you yeah. know what I mean? There's just so many things that are limited. You can't access the property with snow. So anyway, I say like early on, um, pick sunny states where people are moving and then lock in on, um, you know, two or three counties in two different states. And that's a good place to yeah. start. Okay, so um, job growth, economy is growing in these certain states. Uh, somebody asked me just the other day, hey, uh, I'm in Ohio. Can I flip vacant land in Ohio? And I asked him, I'd be curious to know what your response would be. I said, listen, do people go camping and hunting in Ohio? And he said, yeah. I said, well, look there. What, do, what would you say to somebody who asks you, like a state in Ohio? Yeah, well, I'd say like sometimes it the beauty of land is you can do it anywhere. It doesn't have to be your own backyard, but if your own backyard is a solid market, even if it's a decent market, not great, that local knowledge, like where does your family go camping? Where do you guys go? You know what I mean? What do you, yeah. what are the attributes? Are there lakes? Are there mountains? Do you hike? Right. There's all these things. So absolutely some local knowledge would help. The key is that like, what I will say is this works in all 50 States and that you can buy land at a discount in all 50 States. The, but that's half the battle. So reselling, that's the goal, right? Like we're flippers. If you're buying hold, this is a beautiful model because it works everywhere. But um, the dispositions or sales side is the key side. That's what we're looking ahead at is yeah. there, there's 20 different programs out there that will tell you how to buy cheap land. Then you end up stuck with inventory, right? The key is that you not just you select a market that you can buy it at a discount in, but then you can successfully resell it. So yeah. there is a demand. It's identifying a demand is a part of your selecting your market. So what's the demand there? Is it um, recreational or is it residential? So that's kind of the two things I say, any state you're in, you go, what do I want to be looking at? Do I want to be looking at like a uh, recreational land where somebody might go camp or hike or hunt or ride quads or ATVs or shoot guns? Or am I looking at like identifying um, uh, golf course lots or residential lots where they might build a home. So that's kind yeah. of the thing, you know what I mean? Is, is So the state itself is a very like high level view. You then have to say within the state, what are the attributes? Where are people vacation? Where are people moving and job growth? And, and that's the thing. Is it is it resident recreational to play or is a buildable residential lot to play? Because that's going to drive the areas you look yeah. at, right? Well, you know, I'm looking right now at Landwatch, Landwatch is one of the tools I like to go to to just see the, the most popular states or the most popular yeah. counties in those states, right? And I'm looking at Ohio. I'm looking for properties under 50 grand, one to 10 acres, available under contract and sold. And yeah. looking at the numbers, it's pretty small. I mean, when you compare this to Texas, Colorado, Florida, Tennessee, even right. Arkansas, Missouri. Well, um, and you'll see that pattern. Like if you were to look at a national map with all three thousand and We'll get into tools in a minute here, but price, you know, price.com, yeah. their data source, I know you're familiar with. They they put up a, on their website research page a national map that has like, it's an interactive county map. But when you set some filters of, I'm, I'm going to try to like not go too deep, but if you, let's say you plug in some filters of um, sold to for sale ratio, meaning yeah. like are more properties um, selling than are for sale, that would mean, right, that there is a demand, right? Yeah. And then you look at like, 
uh, a stat called parcels on market ratio, which is just a fancy way of saying like how much is listed, right? Like when you start to look at and you rule out all those counties, right, where there's either a lot listed or or there's not a lot of sold, there's not a lot of transactional activity, the map almost goes gray across the entire Midwest. You know what I mean? And then you have all these coastal states, right? Like all the coastal states and then all the southern states in the Sun Belt. And that's just the reality of it. But there's plenty of people flipping um, farmland or doing this locally. You know, um, there, there's plenty of states that don't show up that if you're a local expert, absolutely. The data, the data won't always point you, you know, to those good markets. It's going to point you to great markets. But there's states, there's uh, Oklahoma's, Louisiana's, Georgia's, there's these states, Tennessee, there's all these states that maybe the, the data won't scream or suggest mail here. But there's a number of people actively buying and selling and running a great business, right? So it's kind of identifying, um, is there a demand? That's, the, that's really that's the question you always got to ask yourself is, who's the end buyer? What are they going to use this for? And are people wanting this type of property I'm about to buy? Um, and like me, I'm, I'm from Montana. It's, I mean, it's beautiful in July or June, you know, right? A lot of people buy second homes or, or maybe even land up there. But um, the overall buyer pool... I mean, we just crossed a million person mark a couple of years ago, right? It's like Wyoming, <laughs> 600, 700,000 people. Like, yeah. what's the buyer pool? You know what I mean? There, there's not enough buyer pool, enough yeah. eyeballs on the listings to buy it. So I want to go in more populated areas. Even if I'm doing rural vacant land in the outskirts, everybody leaves the big city and goes up right on the weekends or camping trip or to get away. So I always like to be within, you know, two, three hours of big city if I'm doing rural yeah. land. I'm not in the, not kind of in the middle of nowhere, but there's people running this you know, this land game in all different asset classes, flipping big ranches right in the middle of yeah. what we would call nowhere, right? Um, doing farmland, right? Like flipping farmland, uh, agriculture only. So it's all in like who's your end buyer? You know, like who am I targeting? And that that determines what market you go to. Because if you're flipping farmland and you know the cost per acre for somebody, you know that that's um, and this specific like agricultural, right? You know, the cost breaker, you know, you could resell it to, and you know, somebody's going to actively farm that, you know what I mean? So that's yeah. your end buyer. But if you're just flipping rural land kind of traditionally, like we are, you know, um, you're just looking for that quick flip and it's rural land, recreational land, or it's a residential buildable lot that you want to go where those end buyers are. It's so right? important. a lot of the time, that's not, it's not the Midwest, right? Yeah, like, uh, you're right. You're right. So let me ask you then, because um, with houses, we talk a lot about find the buyers first. You know, it's easier to sell buyers what they want rather than what you have. Yeah. And I use this analogy a lot. When you're walking down Times Square in New York and you've got a bowl of spaghetti and you go trying to sell this bowl of spaghetti to somebody, they're going to be like, you're weird. Get out of my face. Yeah. But if you instead say, hey, I'm going to go over here to this restaurant. What do you want to eat? I'll get it for you. You know, that may still sound weird, but it's going to be like, oh, well, yeah, I'm hungry. I'll take a pizza. And then you get their order, you go get the pizza, you bring it back and you, you that's a great way to make money. It's an easy way to sell things. So I always say, find the buyers first. It's easier to sell them what they want rather than what they get. That's easier for houses I have found than it is for vacant land in a certain sense. But I'm wondering, what do you do? Like, have you ever gone out and searched for specific buyers and what they're buying and let's say you're you're looking in a certain county in Texas, let's just say, yeah. or f five or six counties. Do you ever do the research in advance to find who the actual specific buyers are first and what they're buying and then contact them um, and see, hey, are you 
are you looking for more deals like this? Do you ever do that? Yeah. So when we used to do more of the dispositions ourselves, you know, now I use 100% agents. And in the yeah. last two years, the market, the way it's been, we haven't had to, to do a lot of lead gen on the sales side, right? People are just buying everything up. But prior to that, yes. So uh, I now when we pull our data, we do include corporate owners, LLCs and stuff. But th there's a strategy I used to use and people can still use this where when I would pull my my campaign, my I always call it data set, but think of it as your mailing list or right your property owner list. Um, I would intentionally exclude all the corporate owned um, because those are my who I'm going to try to dispo it to. Right, some of them are going to be Joe buys land, Travis sells land. Right, so there's going to be some land flippers in there, but there's also a lot of builders and stuff. Right, so I would pull a list of just corporate owners. Right. Um, so that's one way. And that would be like what some people call my neighbor letter, right? Or my disposition. Yeah. I would say, hey, I recently acquired a property in your county or zip code. Um, I see you're actively buy land. You know, are you interested in giving the first option? So we used to do that. Um, and then you can use tools like I know you're familiar with PropStream, right? There's some other ones out there, but uh, PropStream, Property Radar, some of these have the ability to pull quick lists at a county level or zip code level where you say, Give me the cash buyers, free and clear cash buyers, right, Joe? Yeah. So you could pull a list of those. Yes, absolutely, and that's what we would do using PropStream. We do that, and then we would we would send them letters, and we would try to, you know, we would try to identify people who are not looking to flip but want buy and hold or buy and build. So yeah, we used to do that a lot. In the last two years, with the way the market's been, our agents have been able to sell like I mean everything, right, almost immediately. So we haven't had to do a lot on that lead gen side. Yeah. Um, but a play where it works. And right now we're at a position where we buy everything cash. We take ownership, right. And we close traditionally and then we resell it kind of traditionally, yeah. but early on, like what maybe you, you don't have the capital or maybe you come from the house, like assignment world, right. And wholesaling yeah. world. And you're very familiar with that. And you're just getting to the land. It makes a lot of sense to, to, to find out what buyers are looking for, like you're saying, right? A builder in this zip code. And then you go out and get it, get it under contract. And then you, you know, assign the contract, perhaps the builder or the buyer. Um, so that in that method, yeah, it absolutely works that way. Um, we don't do much of that now because we're, we're taking ownership of it ourselves. Um, but I think it's a really easy transition for the household sailor or house investor to, because they don't have to wrap their head around it. It's a transferable skill and you, you just lock up the contract and then you right, assign it out to the end buyer. But yeah, yeah, so that's a great way to do that. But pulling lists of cash buyers or pulling lists of corporate owners in that market. Yeah. Um, recent purchases in the last year. Um, that it, yeah, that's absolutely your, your, li your dispo list. Are, are you seeing a change in the last six to t six months um, in selling infill lots or buildable lots? Uh, is it getting harder to sell those types of, of, of properties right now? In some markets. So we've, we had like initially this market, you know, kind of a market shift and anybody who, who tells you there wasn't is fibbing, right? You know, three, four months ago, we, whatever it was, we kind of, we had that, it was the new cycle and interest rates and there's a combination of things, right? But high inflation, interest rates, right? Um, caused a lot of pause and concern. And we we immediately saw a lot of agents like reach out and go, hey, we need to price drop 20%, right? It's like this fire sale. And we're like, okay, we've been to pump the brakes, just relax, take yeah, a minute, yeah. right? Let's see what's going on. 
Because immediately everybody goes, the builders aren't building, nothing's happening, you know. And the reality is the builders are kind of just pausing to see what, get a read, you know, get a read on the market. They ended up made a decision, we're going to stop all building. It's like, you know what I mean? Let's see how bad this is, if it's going to get worse or if it's going to improve. So there's kind of like a, a pause there. But what we did see is we absolutely saw, well, so we were experiencing, we were selling even $100,000, dollars $250,000 residential lots in under 45 days. This is vacant land. I mean, that Joe, that's not only is it incredible, it's not sustainable, right? So the yeah. last two years, we've known we were riding a big wave. You know what I mean? And, okay. and we even switched our own internal model to where we were doing way more residential buildable lots than we were rural vacant land because we knew it's not going to last forever, right? With the the low interest rates, the rising appreciation, right? Like the strong demand. So it was yeah. like, we really went all in on that. Um, and in some markets, we saw that slow down. Like I would say our top three markets are Florida, Texas, and Arizona. Okay. And like in Arizona, we saw some of those residential lots that were selling in 30 to 45 days, you know, take more like 60 to 90. And then we started to get some, some, a lot more offers for like seller financing. Hey, will you take half down? Really? Right versus just cash buys or some builders even lowballing, like saying you know, um, some builders <laughs> even like you know giving you a sixty percent offer. So we started to see less views, right, on like the listing. We did see less views on the listings. We saw a little longer days on market, but we didn't do that knee jerk massive price cut. Like we methodically price cut. We don't react like that, you know. And um, and what we've seen is that we're still selling things in like three to six months, but at three to six months, but we were moving properties in every market at 30 to 45 days. It was just incredible. But uh, Florida is our exception in that like Florida and absolutely nothing has changed. We're not doing any price cuts. There's, you know what I mean? There's still a strong demand. We're doing um, six figure flips on the regular on, on buildable lots. Are you doing any uh, entitlements on those buildable lots? No, no, we're, we're not. And it's residential, you know, not commercial. Um, and we're not doing entitlements. We we do get surveys, you know, and in states like Florida, you've got wetlands and things to deal with. So we always get like a wetlands delineation report, an actual survey. We might even have the lot, you know, cleared, right? We might have trees and brush cut yeah. down so people could see the lake from the road. Yeah. But um, so what I would say, like to answer your question is like residential lots are, are still going, but you're go- absolutely with interest rates going up, you know what I mean? Inflation going up you're definitely going to be less building of single family homes. So like a, a pro tip here, I would tell people that, that nobody's talking about um, when they say builders aren't building is the reality is a lot of, we know builders, a lot of builders have, have pivoted from single family spec homes to multifamily, right? So right now yeah. when you're pulling your data, Joe, have your people pull a list from that county of multifamily acreage only, you know? I didn't know um, you could do that. Yeah. So it's a land use code, multifamily acreage only. I have a, a, a student this week who captured over $150,000 of equity wow, on a really? multifamily acreage property. Right. So, so builders are building, but a lot of them, like they go, okay, if people can't afford to buy a home and pay six or 7% interest, right. They're priced out. What are they going to do? They're going to rent, right? Like they're going to yeah, continue yeah. to rent. And some people are even going to have to maybe move into rentals if they were on an adjustable mortgage or something, right? So, yeah, yeah. so multifamily, right? If multifamily is still going strong, what are some of the builders going to pivot to? Okay. So you can always weather the storm if you can adapt to the market. Yeah. 
But I think kind of the the novice or amateur just goes, um, yep, infill lots of residential don't work because the couple builders they knew are saying, no, we're not buying anything right now. You know what I mean? That's really Um, cool. Yeah. All right. So, you know, beginner investor, just getting started. They would just want to start doing one or two deals a month. Are you telling them to focus on rural recreational vacant land, cheap stuff? Are you telling them to go look for these builders who are building multifamilies close to the city? I really don't teach people go out and find the builder approach at all. Like I, okay. I just, I, I don't, that's not, um, it's like a, an exit strategy, one of 10. Right. Okay. So I teach people to or encourage people to target rural vacant land and residential buildable lots. Okay. So I'll teach people to, you know, let's say pull your data here from a quarter acre lot to a 50 plus acre lot. Okay. Great question. Stop right there. Cause this is so, I, I struggle with this. Sometimes I'll find a little quarter acre lot in the middle of a small little town. All right. I've typically just passed on those because I I just don't have the time to mess with it. What do you do with a little quarter acre lot in a small town? Well, so for me, it's like small town, the value is probably not there, right? So it's it's probably a pass. It has everything to do with value, like a quarter acre lot, you know, in Phoenix or a quarter acre lot in Tampa, you know, um, is worth a lot of money. So when we're talking like, the acreage size doesn't matter that much, right? It's like, what's the value? So to me, it's like, are there homes in every third lot? You know, is it, does it have utilities? Is it buildable? Or is it like kind of what we'd call a paper subdivision, like a zombie subdivision, right? So, yeah. so that's why the acreage size doesn't concern me. I'm going to cast a wide net for acreage size. And then I'm going to go after um, rural vacant land and buildable lots, both, because you don't need to hone in on one and the reality is the people that were only doing one, or if you were only doing infill lots the last two years, and you, you just started two or three years ago, you felt like a, a genius pro, right? You're just crushing it. And now yeah. everything dries up because all your builders say, I'm not building single family homes. Lumber costs too much. Interest rates are too high for buyers, yeah. right? Um, then what are you going to do? You're kind of a one trick pony, right? So so I, I look at it like this, like you're you're selling multiple products in your business. Rural vacant land is one. And residential building buildable okay. lots are the other. Okay. So you want to do both. And in order to do both, rural vacant land tends to be larger in acreage, right? So we need to pull that acreage and and be open to buying either type and not go after one only, you know. There was a guy, Instant Acres. Is that who have you heard of this guy, Instant Acres? No, that's somebody else in Missouri. Um, there was a guy I saw that had hundreds of little small infill lots in small towns that he was selling. And I don't, he must've been buying these from tax lien certificates auctions yeah. and, uh, but selling them for like 50 bucks a month. So he was probably buying these things for a hundred dollars, $500, selling them on terms. Yeah. And I don't know, but it seemed like he's been in business a long time that he kind of knew maybe what he was doing. Have you ever seen anybody successfully do that? Like, Get those little tiny lots in the small towns where it's an old town, a little right. tiny lot in there and selling it on terms. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you, I, I've been down that path. So what I would say is like, start with the end in mind. Like what business do you want to own, Joe? So when my wife and I started, we started buying all, you know, cheap, small properties and we were seller financing those. And we got to a point where we, we had over a hundred notes and we had self-closed those and we were servicing those. And my wife kind of said to me like, hey, um, we don't own a land company now. We also own a loan servicing company and I don't like it, right? Like I don't like chasing people for their payments, right? 
And well, although we're a fan of like the, the notes and the payment at the $50 a month, $99 a month, it's, it's death by a thousand paper cuts, right? It, it's, it's not worth it. So for me, if you go, okay, let's do this at a higher level, 250 a month, 500 a month, those type of notes, I would encourage people say, the model works at any level. You'll see people selling those things on eBay cash. They go in Arkansas, they buy over the counter for a hundred bucks, you know, from the county for a hundred bucks and turn around and sell on eBay 50 bucks a month. So that's like a whole business. You could run that business. But to me, it's like kind of like, do you want to be like the dollar store, right? Or do you want to be like the jewelry store selling diamonds, right? You know what I'm saying? Like it's what asset class do you want to work in? And also what buyer and seller types do you want to work with? Because that comes with like a level of sophistication. The people buying at $50 a month you're right. Um, those notes you end up with are low quality um, borrowers. Um, but yeah, the, the model works itself, right? Like if I were having, if I were having told my kid to start with 500 bucks, right? I could go have him buy five $100 lots and then get a $50 note. But I really, really encourage people like that. It's not that one works and the other doesn't. It's like, what's the end goal? Is yeah. the end goal to end up with 2000 a month of $50 notes? You know what I mean? What are you trying to accomplish? Because that's going to dictate whether you go after cash flips or notes and what size notes. So really like starting with, you're going to get traction and it is going to work, but you might end up finding yourself like self-employed, spending all your time, effort, and energy on $50 per note properties, right? But yeah, it's it's a business model. That's the beauty of this. It literally works at like a $50 a month, $50 down model, all the way up to like $5 million ranches that you could there's arbitrage opportunity yeah. um, in the whole asset class of land at every value range. It's just what what model do you want to follow, right? Yeah. Okay. So questions about, let's talk about systems and tools. Do you have a CRM that you like to use or database, something like that to track your leads? I do. Um, I use Pebble, REI, cool. which is like a land-specific CRM, and I've got a solid real early adopter with those guys have a solid relationship and have been fortunate enough to have a lot of, um, you know, uh, a lot of feature requests and a lot of input on helping shape, you know, based on my own workflow. Right. Um, So, so yeah, I'm a big fan of that because it's land specific and it's also a mail house. You can mail from it. But I think the key when you get started is just having some organization method, like, you know, because sometimes when people are getting started, if you have a limited budget, you know, CR, you start, we, we all know all these softwares, all these things start to add up, right? Yeah. These memberships. So sometimes it's like starting with starting with one. And then maybe if, if you get traction and you have some sales and you have some money, then you can graduate up and move up to a more premium one. But just having some organization or system versus like the, the post-it note method and yellow, yellow notebooks that we started with, right? Um, because we went down that journey of, you know, the, the, kind of the post-it notes and then to the Trello, then to, you know, Airtable, then, you know what I mean? To the all different ones when we, prior to finding our CRM, Pebble has... Um, I like Pebble a lot. I, I've looked at it and um, really close to pulling the trigger on it. The only thing that it didn't have that I FreedomSoft had was um, virtual phone numbers inside the CRM. Yeah. So I could keep my numbers in there and then all the communications back and forth with the seller was inside right crm but um uh, he is a crm right it's like some organization it's not this one versus that one it's really just that you 
you have a system and you know where your leads are, you know what stage they're in. That can mm. be Trello to start. That can be free yeah. yourself. That can be anything. And the key is just that you you know where your leads are and you have a defined process to follow. So it's not best effort, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, Jesse, um, Jesse Kwong, really smart guy. He's real close to doing that. He was telling me it's really, really close. Do you know any, you have any updates on that? I, I can't share any. Um, so I actually do like, uh, I'm on a, a product development calls them weekly over there. So I know Jesse and Kevin real well and, and yeah, gets kind of privy to, I guess, kind of the roadmap, right? So I could tell you it's, it's an awesome product now, but 12 months from now, there will be a lot of additional stuff that's not yeah. baked in yet. So that's the cool thing is there. Uh, it's a good segue probably into the next one that they're always like, you know, they're always improving, right? And they're they're always improving yeah. and adding features and not getting complacent. And well, I, I, I love what they're doing because they're they're specific. I mean, as far as what I can tell, they're specifically for the land investor. Yeah. Which is yeah. nice. Well, most other CRMs are like for anybody and everybody, no matter what you're right. doing. Right, yeah. And I've got all like my letter templates loaded in their system and the template library and stuff. And that's a good segue. And like the other tool you asked about tools is priced, you know? Yeah. Um, so Price, by the way, it's P-R-Y-C-D, priced. Yep, and you you might have a link or something. I'm guessing, right, to direct somebody how to how to because it's spelled different. It's spelled different than yeah. Right, I'll put it up here on the screen. Spelled. Yeah, so I, it's my uh, it's my affiliate link, landlist.us, landlist.us. Yeah, so priced. I, I again, I was a real early adopter. Um, yeah. found these guys, Max and Ryan, the owners over there. Um, and started using their product as a data source, and then it also like do a lot of uh, automated scrubbing of a list, yeah. which early on, having started a long time ago, you could spend a, a lot of man hours in Excel filtering and, and deduplicating and um, removing non-US owners. And there's just yeah. so many different things that when we clean up our list before we, we're going to pay for a stamp, right, and mail it out. I spend five, seven hours at least on it, yeah. you know, per campaign. These guys, these guys created this data source that's also a web app, you know, that will kind of auto scrub for you. Um, yeah. But they've been awesome. They've been receptive from day one, like when years ago. And I, I, I mean, um, now of course they're they're a more mature product and they have support and everything. But there was a time when I could just text them, "Hey, can you add a drop down here?" And they'd be like, "Hey, I'm driving. Let me turn on the hotspot." Pull over, get out no the way. Like an hour later, they'd be like, okay, right? That filter's there, that drop down's there. So it's kind yeah. of fun to use that because as I go through the workflow, there's a lot of the feature requests that they were really accepted, uh, really like uh, receptive to adding. So price.com's a really, um, a really good one as well. Um, PropStream, right, is another yeah. another good one. Especially now, what do you what do you use PropStream for? So, well, PropStream, I'd say, Joe. So when like when you're when you're teaching people, you know, they, they kind of have two options when they're sending out offers or they're sending out, um, they're sending it, well, call them offers because that could be cold call or mail. Let's just say you're doing direct mail kind of traditionally. You can send a letter of interest out, kind of like a We Buy Ugly Houses does, right? Some people call that a neutral letter. A letter of interest which doesn't commit you at any price. It just says, hey, raise your hand. Are you interested in selling? Or you can send a blind offer, which is like an unsolicited offer with an actual dollar amount. Those sure. are two different things. So if somebody's sending like neutral letters or letter of interest, you don't need the valuation of the property and you don't, you know, you don't need to pay 10 or 15 or 20 cents a record to buy a, a mailing list if you're just going to send a, a generic letter that says, hey, are you interested in selling? So that's where something like PropStream, it's like a penny a record, you know? Um, so you like... Sense. So for it, a new 
for neutral letters, right? Or letter of interest. Yes. Um, that's a way to keep data costs down is, is, would be a prop stream. That's interesting because um, they have a quick list choice that you can choose yeah. from their dropdown for vacant land. Is, yeah. Do you, do you trust their vacant land search? You've, you've got to modify it. The cool thing with them is you, you modify some things. So like you might say, I don't want on market anything listed on MLS, turn that off. Right. And you might go in there and say, I only want free and clear. Um, you got to remember it's prop stream and almost, almost all of these are like house centric. So yes. their filters are built for houses. So when we go in there, like most houses, some are free and clear, but the majority of Americans have mortgages and sometimes even two, right? So with land, that's something if I'm pulling the list, I want to say free and clear, right? Because I'm, I'm typically yeah. targeting somebody that owns the land outright. Um, so there's some of those tweaks you'd have to go in there and I don't trust their list, but it might give you some, their quick list, but it might give you some, um, some inspiration or idea of where to start with yours. It'll give you the framework and then you can tweak it. Uh, you know, you can tweak it to do that, but, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm looking at one of my counties right now and I can pull a list. I did a owner occupied. No, I said that cause I want the mailing address separate than the property address. Yeah. Vacant land. I did, um, it won't do acres. So you have to do feet, like, square feet. Yeah. 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 So you have to calculate that yeah. out. So oh. I did one to 20 acres and I did, um, free and clear. So there yeah. is no mortgage on the property. And then I said, um, uh, the absentee owner location is out of state and out of county. You have to do so that. that's low, low hanging fruit for you're going immediately going after the lowest hanging fruit. Yeah. Yeah. And I still got 13,500 records. Yeah. yeah. Which is huge. That's well, there's these massive counties you pick, right? So you pick like, like Texas, there's like 254 counties or something, right? Or they all have their own county seat. They all have their own yeah. municipalities, but there, a lot of them can be tiny counties. Then you have like take Maricopa County in Arizona or San Bernardino County in California. You have almost 200,000 parcels to start with, right? So when you, you know what I mean? You have to really hone down all those filtering criteria. Well, I did one, I forgot one thing. Sometimes I like to do, they've owned it for 10 years or more. Yeah. Yep. Right. So that, that makes sense. And that's like, say, if you start with a really, really big list and you go, okay, I can't afford to mail 30,000 people. How do I whittle that down? Length of ownership uh, is going to increase, you know, probability to sell, right? So the longer and, they've owned it and haven't done anything with it, for sure, start with 10, go to 15, 20, 30, if you're in a, ma a big county with a large list, right? This is important with PropStream, make sure you check, include unknown sale dates. Yeah. I don't know if you knew yep. that or not. So it doesn't discard. Yeah. Yep. So right. you, you have to include unknown sale dates because if a property doesn't have a sale date, that means it was bought before they started tracking Right. That. So it's going to show up as a blank cell and yes. they're going to, PropStream's going to discard that before they give it to you. So yeah, great, well, great tip there. This is really, really interesting because I normally just get my list from Priced. I love Priced. I like, yeah. I really do like the, um, you can get a KML file. You can open yeah. in Google Earth, right? To see all of the comps that are there. So there's a lot of value in the comps, but if you just want to pull a list quick and dirty to send a neutral right. letter to them, PropStream is actually really, really good. I'm impressed with them. Yeah, there's some annoyances, like said, caveats where you have to search in square feet because it's built for houses and not land. And it doesn't generate like latitude, longitude, and yeah, acreage, that's a big deal. acreage on the export. So there's some caveats, right? It gives you the um, APN. So Price is absolutely um, a higher level, more premium. Um, data source, 
Yeah. Uh, but there's, there's, uh, there's just things you can do, right? We could spend a whole hour just talking about this part, but there, there's, uh, just be aware of both of them, you know, as, as data sources, I think. Cool. So, um, let's say you're looking at a property, you got a property that you're, you know, you're, you're wanting to do more research on. They've responded to your mail. What are some of the tools you use to do some research on the property when you're, when you're starting to look at it? MapRite is a core tool for Love us. MapRite. A critical tool. Yeah. Yeah, MapRite is a lot of the mapping solutions out there, and especially free ones, um, kind of give you a dollhouse view. You're looking from above aerial at a 2D level. Uh, MapRite allows you to do a lot of things, but one of the main ones is, is you can click a 3D button and it turns the property on its head, right? So a property, it looks like a beautiful big 20-acre property, you know, um, all of a sudden you find out the slope is like, you know, like 70 degree slope or something, right? So being able to look at a property in 3D um, helps you rule out if slope is an issue and slope affects buildability, right? And look at the floodplains. Uh, and then know. you turn on those layers like wetlands is a yeah. layer, which is actually different than FEMA, which is a yeah. floodplain, right? So there's a multiple layers. So we turn on those core layers are, are that like a floodplain, wetlands, right? And contour lines and pipelines. Yeah. So it, it's really like a more of a GIS mapping solution. But yeah, we use that in our like in our own land business and then in our funding company when we're when we're qualifying a property, you know, um, you know, immediately we're checking flood zone, wetlands, access, slope, you know, um, are, are the, the, the immediate disqualifiers before we spend any time on due diligence or valuation, you know, um, are seeing if it's disqualified by any of those. Are you um, I love MapRite. I use it a lot. And even when you're advertising properties, I embed the MapRite map. And by the way, if you're wondering yeah. the link for that, it's M-A-P map, right, R-I-G-H-T, like left hand, right hand, maprite.com. Oh, what was I going to ask? Texting. Yes. You mentioned a little bit about cold calling and texting and skip tracing. What are some of the tools you use for that? Well, so it's kind of the, the cool new kid on the block right now, texting, right? So it's, um, I don't think it's the flavor of the month. I think it's absolutely just an additional channel or a yeah. new channel. Yeah. Um, but the why I'm so all in on direct mail is like our, our core outbound marketing method is that the the laws don't fluctuate as much, right, from state to, to state. And be, um, it's like if we we're doing a SWOT analysis of the business, what could ruin the business, right? Like, well, if I can no longer get data, right, like if, if all of it becomes private, we can't get public data, that's a problem, right? And then same with marketing, if I can't get offers to people. You know, what could happen? Well, there's channels like cold calling and text messaging that are more volatile and there's kind of potential for the, the rug to be pulled out from under you. So so I like to like build my business on direct mail as the primary, but yeah, yeah we complement that or concurrently run cold calling campaigns and text messaging campaigns. This can be overwhelming for people at first when you're new. So don't think you have to do all of these. In fact, if, if like you can't afford the postage and direct mail component, skip tracing your list and having it cold called or you cold calling it yourself would be like the cheapest way to, you know what I mean? To start actively trying to do deals. Yeah. So when we give these tips, like just know that like, this isn't how Joe or I started. We're always doing it this way. And we have different budgets now than we did when we started. So there's some of these tools that are like complimentary or add on. You don't have to do them out the gate, but yeah, we'll, we'll have our list. Um, skip trace. So we pull our list. Um, we're going to mail our list. And then we're also going to have it, that list skip traced. 
to get phone numbers is the main thing there um, to get phone numbers. And then we have those phone numbers cold called. And then we also have those text message. So there's when you when you look at those channels, you have two options. You have like the do it yourself or done for you. Right. So like anytime you're doing something yourself, you feel like it's always going to be done best, probably if you're good at it and you do it yourself. But there's that time cost. Right. You're going to pay more to have something done for you. Um, and it might not even be to the level that you think it should be. But like there's that trade off of time and money. Right. So you, you can choose to do it yourself and get the softwares and run the campaigns and respond to everybody or have a VA doing this. Or you can choose some done for you services. Um, we use lead mining pros right now is who we're using for, for, for what is a bundle. They, they skip trace cold call and text message the list. Really? Yeah. It's, it's a bundle. You know, you can do it all of them a la carte. So you could just have it skip traced only if you wanted to upload it. And you know what I mean? If you wanted to just have it skip traced and then you cold call it or you load it in your system and you text. Okay. So you can do any of those things a la carte. You don't have to do all of them, but they, they allow you to do uh, one, two, or three, or all the above, right, as a bundle. Um, so right now, that's who, who we're using and recommending, like for the done-for-you service. Um, but there's a number of softwares and options if you if you were said, hey, I don't have the budget right now, but I'm willing to run these campaigns myself. You know, um, there's, there's so a they're, number they're, of sources. They're premium the, if you get somebody to do it for you, right? Um, yeah. But leadminingpros.com, I've never heard of them. Yeah. It's interesting. We we do a lot of cold calling in the um, for our housing side of this of the deals of business, yeah. and we use our own team of virtual assistants in the Philippines to do the cold oh, calls, sure. and uh, it's working well. In fact, it's we're seeing an uptick in response rates in the last six months. More sellers are open to selling their property. Well, and it's but, immediate feedback. You know, um, yeah. direct mail can take you a week or two to hit the mailboxes, right? And you can start a text campaign or a cold calling campaign and get immediate feedback. Be talking to people day one. So that's the beauty of it. The problem is a lot of people working full time jobs, right? You're trying to moonlight or side hustle or do this. So you want to have like focused efforts. You don't want to be trying to do too many of these things at once. So some of these are kind of advanced strategies, or pick one channel to start. You know what I mean? And not do all of them. The advanced people listening, yeah, go all in on all channels you can, right? Um, but if you're just beginning, I think like hone in on whatever channel Joe's teaching you, you know, and just do that channel till you get traction and have budget to do the others or bandwidth to do the others, you know? Really good. Um, okay. We're, we got to hurry up here. Um, what are you finding right now? I know you mentioned realtors. You're advertising your properties through realtors. Do you still use a realtor on a little property you're selling for 15 to 20 grand? I, so I, I teach something and we practice and what I teach is a method from our own business model. It's like, it's swipe my business, right? Like it's just a clone or duplicate of what we do. And what happened, Joe, when we started trying to scale up is we I realized we were killing ourselves with all these self closings on the buy side and sell side, you know? And so I said, okay, we got to stop doing this. And so I go, all right, well, that means we have to buy through a title company to have them close it. We need to sell with an agent so we don't have to create listings, you know, and field buyer lead calls. That's that's brutal, right? Um, and then self-close on the sell side, right? Cash or or um, payment sure. solutions. Sure. So I said, if we're going to have to pay for a title company on the bookends, buy side, sell side, and we've got to pay an agent commission, you kind of start with the math first and work backwards and go, well, that puts me, you know, the agents are saying, hey, my minimum commission is 2500 bucks. 
I don't care if you're selling a $10,000 property or $25,000. It's so, so we realized like for us, the property values had to be um, north of 25 or 30 for it to make sense, for it to pencil out for us. So that's the sandbox we play in now. And, and what we found, Joe, we completely, especially when I started doing it, you know, years ago, we completely stumbled into a blue ocean of people that weren't receiving direct mail because all the programs out there were centered around teaching people to mail low dollar properties, yeah. right? So you ended up, there ended up being all this, like everybody's playing in the same crowded sandbox. And we like stumbled into this blue ocean by accident, by just saying, all right, we've got to go after higher value properties. We'd have all these people that had never received a letter before, or they've gotten two a year instead of, you know, 20 a month. Um, So for us, that really changed like our business model. And now every transaction we do, yeah, we, we use a title on both sides and we use an agent. But if somebody's working in that a little bit lower price point, I'd encourage them at a minimum, at a minimum, buy with title. You know, I still I do that also. No, it's clear. Totally. Even if on the sell side, you're going to list it yourself yeah. and sell it yourself. Yeah. If you bought it through title, that's probably like the hack, right? Like to to still play in that lower price point and save on the realtor commission and yeah. not pay title. I'd still say buy with title and, you know, everything's clean and clear to convey. Totally agree. Totally agree. All right. So then are there, when you're targeting the higher price properties, does that mean you're only mailing, you know, 10 acres or bigger? Or are you filtering in data tree itself or whatever props you, the property right. value a certain amount or higher? Yes. So, so like, so as far as the value disconnect, like the, the association with acreage range and value, okay. acreage range has nothing right. to do with value, Correct. right? Like yep. Yep. you buy a quarter acre lot in Manhattan, right? What's that going to cost you? It has nothing to do with like acreage or price per square foot, right? So I'd say like, don't worry about the, the acreage. So many deals are missed because people pull with their minimum acreage being a large size because they were introduced to the concept as a rural vacant land program, right? So I, I'd say absolutely like, you know what I mean? Just I, So I pull to answer your question based on a value range, not, you know, not so much on that acreage because all day long, we've got a five acre and, and I'll tell you in Pinal County, Arizona right now, we're going to split it into four, one and a quarter acres, right? You know what I mean? If I started at nine or 10 acres as my minimum, I would have never picked up that property. So it's more of a value. Like, sure. And that value for people can be kind of setting a, f- a floor and a ceiling based on assessed value. Or it can be like if your data source has an estimated market value for the property, that's your buy box. So our buy box, I'll tell you, is like like 30,000 to 300,000 is kind of our buy box if we're... We're so holding data. this is why I love priced, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. Because priced will you can set you can set there the minimum purchase price. Yep, and that's what I exactly what I teach on within that within a module. I spend a whole module on this is pull, setting that floor and that ceiling, like we're talking about with that min and max offer price. So an offer doesn't go out the door that's south of this or north of that, just like you're referencing within priced. Yep. Does that depend on the county? Or is there a general rule of thumb you use across the board for that? No, we, there's kind of a, a kind of a rule of thumb, and that that's approaching it as like a countywide campaign, right? A rule of thumb, but we do a lot of like micro targeted micro mailers where we might we might get rid of all valuations and just draw a polygon around a subdivision and say, yeah. "Give me everything," right? Okay. So that's where I would say that's like the um, different is our, is this a countywide campaign or is this a micro mailer? So if it's a countywide campaign general parameters in general 
Yeah. Minimum purchase price might be what? 10 grand? I say, so minimum, so purchase price is going to be hinged the price to your offering. is going to be hinged to your offer percent. So if you're offering 25%, I'm offering 50%, right? Okay. I think so that we're both talking like apples to apples. I'd say like minimum market value, let's say, right? So for me, minimum resale market value, my floor personally is 30. 30,000 like resale, that's what I'm going to list for. And then my, my max is about 300,000 with our kind of our countywide. Um, and so this approach. is, this is really important because like you're targeting bigger properties, that 25% rule doesn't work all the time for you, right? You need to be more at the higher 50% of value. Right. Because you're, when you start doing bigger deals, you're not focused on ROI. You're focused on margin or net per deal, right? So like you can go buy a, board game at a garage sale for a dollar and resell it on eBay for 11 bucks and, and beat your chest about a thousand percent ROI, but you made 10 bucks. You know what I mean? And you went through all the time and effort, same thing. So it's, it's ROI. Like if you're making 50,000 or a hundred thousand a transaction, you don't care whether you paid 22% or 52%. Do you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? So as you increase and in the values you target, so do your your offer percentages, right? They need yeah. to increase as well. So what what you do, Joe, you kind of just like build yourself a pricing table where you you start to like look at it and you go, hey, maybe everything five to twenty thousand in market value, I'm offering thirty percent. You know, maybe everything twenty thousand to forty thousand, I'm offering thirty five percent. Maybe everything forty to sixty, I'm going forty percent. You know what I mean? You get you get it. So it's not like a a, a yeah. blanket offer. For the whole county, because we wouldn't want to spend all that money on postage and send the guy with a hundred and fifty thousand dollar property a twenty five percent offer. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. So, like a sophisticated campaign would would have like a multi tiered pricing um, based on the estimated value, and that's what I that's what took us years to arrive at that. Because initially, the way I learned it was like you you approach it as a county wide campaign and it's a blanket offer, right? Well. We would see, like, if you look back at all the deals we got, what offer price did we pay on a $20,000 property? What percent? And what did we pay, like, on a $250,000 property, right? People, um, you might get lucky, right, and get one grand slam a year if you blanket offer 25% to everybody. But the reality is you're, you're incrementing, you're paying yeah. more as the value goes up. Very good. Well, man, I wish we could talk more. Travis, this has been really good. How can people reach you? What's your website that uh, you've got coaching programs and courses and masterminds? Where can they go to get more information about you? Yep. So travisking.com is the easiest, easy to remember. T-R-A-V-I-S-K-I-N-G.com, travisking.com. And from there, you could kind of see all the different stuff we do um, um, or I or I offer. But yeah, I do. You know, uh, uh, Joe, I'm coming up at the end of this year. I'll hit my thousand coaching call mark. So I've done two, wow. you know, a thousand coaching calls in the last two years. So um, I think that's the best part is like, you know, with JV and partnering with people and working in more markets than you could on your own. Yeah. It really gives me the finger on the pulse of different markets and to work with different people. So yeah, that's awesome. so it, it's, yeah, it's a blast. And then we've, we've done a lot of things along the way. We stood up a funding company. So we have a capital company where we JV with students, partner with them on deals. If they come across one of these big deals, cause it's easy to like to say, Hey, you know, um, yeah, just go mail stuff that's worth 200, 300,000, right? Well, what happens when the offer comes back signed? New problem, right? Good problem to have, but at the yeah. same time, you know, so the whole thing is just, we solved all our own problems 
is my wife and I, we worked the business together, Becca, as we scaled up, we solved our own problems. And guess what? People that are new and intermediate have the same problems, right? So now like we, we solve those same problems, like for students and for other people. All right. Very good. TravisKing.com. TravisKing.com. Thank you so much for being on the show, man. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. It was a blast, Joe. Appreciate it. All right. Hey, guys. Thank you, everybody. Travis, don't go anywhere. I got a question for you. We'll see you all later. 